this is Feline from Six Blue Warriors. I have a new episode for you guys today. So what I want to talk about today is when parents disagree is kind of what I'll loosely title this. Um, what I want to what I want to address today is that a lot of times parents really struggle being on the same page when it comes to getting a diagnosis for their ch- child or in recognizing that there may be um, a developmental delay going on, or there may be a disability that's taking place. Sometimes one parent is very accepting and the other parent is struggling to accept. It just depends. Um, Sometimes you can be on the same page, no problem. Whereas, you know, it really just depends. And it can be something that causes a lot of strife and difficulty in a relationship. So I wanted to kind of talk about that a little bit today, but since it is talking about a relationship, I have a special guest with me for this episode today. So I'd like to introduce Chris to this episode. He is my husband and we have four kids together, four boys, and two of our boys have autism. So say hello, Chris. Hello, Feline. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? Oh, not too bad. We both just kind of wanted to talk about our various experiences that we had with this whole process of coming to terms with dealing with the fact that we have kids with special needs, you know, that it's not just, you know, your normal, what is it, quintessential life. We just wanted to to talk about our different experiences that we've had in coming to grips with having a kid with special needs. So the first thing we're going to talk about is with our oldest son, getting his diagnosis. He's our son who is more uh, your classic version of autism that, that they have in the DSM-5 and that they just, you know, it's really easy to sit down and say, yep. Yep. Tick this box, tick this box, tick this box. He's the one that it's, it's pretty easy to tell. When it came to getting Aiden's, Aiden's diagnosis, um, we kind of knew there was something going on with him, but we weren't entirely sure. So it was actually the pediatrician's office when we were doing those little well checks and their little tick marks that they went through, like checking off the milestones. Um, that kind of clued us in that there was something that wasn't right because he, while he was way advanced with certain things, he was also way behind with other things. The biggest one though, was that he wasn't talking. I think that was our, our biggest thing moving forward that just kind of let us know that there was something going on where he was falling behind. Yeah, that was definitely the most obvious for what we observed. I think when we got more familiar with the process, we realized maybe there were some other signs we weren't aware of, but the, the delay in speech was definitely the big, the big one, the big one for us. Yeah. Looking back, like retroactively, <laughs> there's a lot of signs that if we had been more familiar with what autism was, then we could have been like, bing, it's right there. I didn't even actually understand what the pediatrician's office was doing because I didn't really understand how far behind he was, especially with his speech. So when they started setting up appointments for us to go and see these different specialists, um, first we went in for 
like a hearing test and we saw an ENT and they put tubes in his ears, you know, but then after the tubes were in and it had been a couple of months and he still wasn't speaking, um, they started referring us to a child developmental specialist. So I'm pretty sure the pediatrician's office had an idea that it was autism, but they didn't mention it to me. <laughs> I just had, um, all these appointments that I knew that the pediatrician said that we needed to go to. And since he wasn't talking, I was like, okay, well, let's, let's get it done. So when I went to, I, I went to most of the appointments with Aiden, um, initially. And, um, a lot of times, you know, they ask you a lot of questions, you know, which again, looking back, they were definitely screening for autism. Um, but I was just like, they're like, oh, well, does he do things like mimicking you, like trying to sweep the floor or doing this and that? And I'm like, well, yeah, I've seen him pick up the broom and try and sweep the floor, but he doesn't do it the same time I do, you know, like he loves the broom. Yeah. Yeah. He's totally doing great with that. But what I didn't mention was he was taking the broom and trying to throw it up in the air, or he was like using it as a vehicle to push things around, or he was doing anything and everything else with the broom besides using it for its intended purpose that he would have watched an adult use it for. <laughs> I, I was just trying to really champion my son and make sure that I put him in the best light, you know? So when it came time for uh, the appointment uh, with the actual child psychologist himself, uh, I had another engage. It was maybe three or four appointments total for this diagnostic process. But, um, I was not there when it was the one where they actually met with the child psychologist or developmental specialist or whatever he was. Um, Chris went to that appointment and Chris gave them a very different perspective than what I did. Yeah. And like you were saying, I think I was able to kind of look past, you know, like the surface part of it with that thing, like where the example you were using with the broom, I was able to, you know, I'm like, yeah, like he plays with the broom, but it's not like a typical, he's not like trying to copy what we're doing. He's, he's definitely playing with the broom, but you know, he's doing something else with it. And for whatever reason, that seemed to be easier for me to, to recognize with Aiden. So, you know, a lot of my answers were, yeah, I'm like, he kind of does that. Or, you know, sometimes, yeah, not really. You know, I was a lot more of, of those kinds of answers. Honest. You know, I, I don't, it's not like <laughs> you were being dishonest. It was just being, aware, I guess, of the reality of what's actually happening. Um, as a parent, it's very easy to put on blinders sometimes. And, um, you know, you see your kid copying the words you're saying or something like that. And on the surface, that sounds like, oh, that's perfect. That's exactly what you wanted to do. But there's a difference between like mimicking and like echolalia and different things like that. And those little nuances are kind of where the diagnosis comes from. It's true. And especially with him being our first kid, 
Both of us were first-time parents, so we'd never raised a kid before. So it's hard to tell, you know? And it's like Chris said, the nuances can end up making a big difference. So Chris was able just to be more direct. And um, I always like to say he was telling it more like it is. Whereas I was slipping into a typical fault that a lot of parents have when it comes to a diagnostic process is I was trying to champion our son because that's my job. I'm his mom. I'm supposed to help him put his best foot forward to people, you know, and things like that. But when it comes to the diagnostic process or, you know, anything like that, we've just learned it's best to just tell it like it is and not try and find a way to turn everything that they do into something positive because you just need to tell it like it is. You don't need to make it worse. You just need to tell it like it really is. So, and that's hard. Like Chris said, you can have blinders on when it comes to that. Yeah. And it's usually not something that's intentional. It's just something yeah. natural as a parent. You want to, you know, show everybody how amazing your kid is and all this stuff. And you just kind of have to realize that during the diagnosis process, that's not what you need to be there for. You need to be able to get like a realistic yeah. snapshot so that they can accurately diagnose the issues and you know because you don't want to go in there and try to make it sound like they have things worse than they are or yeah anything like that it's just trying to be honest with yourself and well and the thing is is that it can get misinterpreted both ways and you know the the parent who thinks that there's who's giving the just the honest snapshot you know just because you think something might be off doesn't mean that you don't love your child. When Chris came back from that appointment and I said, well, what kinds of questions did that Oscar, the, did the doctor ask you <laughs> what, you know, what did you say? And I heard him tell me, you know, where he's like, well, he doesn't really do that. And, and I started to do the same thing with Chris. I'm like, yes, he does. He does that. Why'd you tell the doctor he can't do that? You know, like I just jumped straight in because I struggled with that. And, um, you know, again, it's one of those things that just because you think something's off doesn't mean you don't, you don't love your child. So, and vice versa, um, just because a parent is trying to defend your child doesn't mean that they don't love your child and they don't, you know, it, it's just hard. It's just a hard situation. And I think... The word autism is a, is a scary word for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And the fear as a parent is to, you know, have this child that, you know, has this, this scary label on you or on them. And everybody's going to look at you different. Everybody's going to look at them differently. Everybody's going to, going to, just treat everybody differently because of it. And so the fear comes from, you know, per the perception that something is wrong. And the thing that you ultimately have to get to, or, you know, at least mentally be aware of and, and conscious of is that, no diagnosis, nothing that a doctor is going to say is going to change who your child is. Your child is is them. 
you know, no matter what. And if the doctor says, you know, it is autism that they have, it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with your son or your daughter. It just means that they have, are going to have different challenges than a typical developing person that, you know, unfortunately this world is not able to cater to everybody's special um, needs and and everything like that. And so, yeah, they're not going to change just because you have the diagnosis. They're going to go home. They're going to be the exact same person. The way that we've chosen to look at it is just that with a diagnosis, we now have the opportunity to look into more information, you know, and I go through that and the pros and cons of a diagnosis uh, in one of my other videos on this channel. But Chris is totally right. It doesn't change who your kid is. They're not going to become a different person just because they have a, a label. Now, it's what you as the parent choose to do with it that makes the difference. So, And I think a lot of people look at a diagnosis as saying there's something wrong with their child. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also something to consider is they're, they're different. They're, they look at the world differently than we do. Mm -hmm. And in a perfect world, they would be able to just live their life how they see fit and makes them happy develop when and how they see fit you know but the world we live in doesn't really allow for that and so that's where i think some of the issues people have is looking at it negative is oh well i have to get treatment we have to do something we have to fix this and something that's been helpful for us to look at it is it's something that we're just trying to help them to live in the world that they live in. They have to learn to adapt. I mean, if you, if you have a kid that for some reason ends up losing an arm through an accident, they're going to have to go through therapy. They're going to have to go through, you know, a bunch of different stuff. And ideally everyone would have two arms because that's generally speaking the easiest way to get things done. But that doesn't mean that the quality of life or anything has to change or that person's limited in being able to move forward and live a full and happy life just because they're missing an arm now. You know, it doesn't change who they are. It doesn't change, you know, anything like that. It's just, you have to learn how to deal with the lot that genetics or whatever gave you, <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. We just want to make sure that our kids can be who they are, but also be able to function in the world that they live in. So then I want to actually lead into a different situation that Chris and I had where our roles were actually flipped, where Chris was more concerned about dealing with a certain disability. And I was ending up being a lot more positive and didn't have an issue with it. When we were pregnant with our second son, we had the first ultrasound done and it came back saying, you know, this was about when I was about 20 weeks along. And based off of that first ultrasound, they said that there is a possibility for that this child may have Down syndrome. And that one was, you know, a lot more obvious disability. Most people are fairly familiar with Down syndrome and have had 
an experience or met an individual with Down syndrome. And for me, while again, there's some fear and grief that comes from your child having to deal with something extra in their life that a lot of people don't have to deal with. I've been lucky in that I've had the opportunity to meet many individuals with Down syndrome in my life and and I'd had many positive experiences. And so, like I said, there was still some grief at the possibility of that. But ultimately, I, I had been able to see how a lot of people can be happy and have a great life and how much those people really do affect the world and their positive attitude that they seem to have a lot. Um, and so I was actually going to be okay with it. We had an interim period of about three weeks from when we had the first ultrasound to when we had our appointment with a specialist to either confirm or deny the, the results of the first ultrasound. So we could find out for sure if, um, the baby was going to have down syndrome or not. So mostly what we're talking about is that three week period where we were having to contemplate the idea of having a child with down syndrome. So I think when it comes to diagnosis, it's kind of like going through a grieving process in a lot of ways. So when, you know, somebody dies, you know, there's the steps that you go through with denial and bargaining and acceptance and, and all the steps in between. And it's, it's very relatable if you look at getting a diagnosis like that in a similar uh, vein you know as parents you have typically an idea of what you know your child's life should be <laughs> yeah you do you know like you they're gonna go through school i want to teach him how to play ball i want to teach her how to dress up or you know do scouts or like whatever you want to do with your kids. Yeah. And, and, uh, for me on this one, um, you know, after somebody goes to school, you expect them, you know, to move out. And, <laughs> <laughs> what? People and, don't do that anymore. Don't you know that they go to school and then they move back home. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> and so, for me, in this specific circumstance, that was the thing that, I don't know, was the biggest holdup um, for whatever reason, you know, and just being like, oh, you know, it's never just going to be Felina and I again, you know, it's just there's always going to be um, this this kid that's just here all the time, you know, and I've you know, it's selfish and a lot of the things that you think about like that are, and, you know, but for whatever reason you have to go through that process, there's going to be things that maybe you had expectations for your child and, or you had expectations to be able to do with your child or whatever it was that, you know, might not happen. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just something that you have to come to, to grips with and maybe, readjust your expectations and yeah not all of us have our whole lives 
written out. I mean, I knew some girls in high school that said, I'm going to get married when I'm this age and I'm going to have this many kids and I'm going to have two boys and a girl and I'm going to name them this, this, and this, you know, some people have a very vivid idea of what they want their life to look like. (laughs) Most of us just kind of have general ideas of, you know, Oh, I can't wait till I have kids because when I'm a parent, then I want to be able to do this and this, you know, and when you're forced with, you're forced into the idea that your life isn't going to turn out exactly the way you thought it was, that's always hard to accept. So for me, that was the hardest process of the diagnosis, you know, the potential diagnosis with the second child is, you know, it really wasn't a big deal, but it really just came down to me having an expectation of my children and just seeing that not be a possibility anymore and just kind of the struggle accepting that is the challenges I think I had with that. And again, it just goes back to that grief cycle, you know, and as we've had our kids and raised them, you know, at different ages, there's different milestones, you know, and there's certain things people look forward to me. For example, I hate Halloween. I can't stand Halloween and it's not because I don't like Halloween. I just, it is the most miserable experience every year because either the costume's not right or people get way too excited and it's just miserable. And every year for the last like six years, somebody has just burst out into tears or had a meltdown or just been screaming, kicking fit. You know, like everybody just gets so excited and ramped up and I'm sitting there like, Oh, are you so excited to take your kids trick or treating? And I'm thinking to myself, hell no. Sorry, pardon my language, but that's really how I feel. I'm trying to keep it clean, you know, family viewing here, family listening. But that is honestly how I feel when it comes to Halloween. And you might say, oh, you're such a grump when it comes to Halloween. But no, that is how I feel because somebody ends up just screaming and yelling and melting down and too much sugar. And so I do not look forward to Halloween, like not at all, you know, so... (laughs) That was something that I had to adjust. You know, you think, oh, it'll be so fun. And then you're like, "Mm, no, that's not reality. Not at all. So Chris and I have kind of shared some of our perspectives and our different thought processes that we went through. Um, It's, you know, and for the most part, for the most part at this point, we are on the same page. Um, We both know and approve of the interventions that we're doing for our children and moving forward with choices with medication or not medication, you know, just those kinds of things, you know? And, um, so, you know, I, I feel like we're in a pretty good place together with that, you know, and as the kids get older, we're, st- we still, you know, like either I have more confidence in them or Chris has more confidence in them to be able to accomplish something, you know, when I'm sitting there going, no, don't let them do that. And Chris is like, ah, it's fine, you know, or vice versa. You know, I'm like, they can do that. Just let them do it. And you're like, they're going to make a giant mess. And I'm like, well, you know, so we still have our, our things that we <laughs> we're like, Ugh. the big thing, we want to make sure that, you know, we leave with some helpful advice. And so one of the things that 
that Chris and I talked about that could be helpful for people is to make sure that this doesn't become something that causes a wedge in your relationship. Because if you are the parent that's more worried about your child possibly having uh, autism or any disability type issue, um, it's really hard most of the time. It's great. We love our kids, but it's also really hard a lot of the times to raise a kid with special needs. But I have many friends who I absolutely admire and look up to that are single parents. And it is just so, so much harder. I just think about, oh man, that's just rough. If you don't have somebody who you can, um, you know, who you can talk to, who gets it, who can, you know, kind of be your partner and your champion in that. Um, so you don't really want to let it become a wedge in your relationship. And I'm not saying ignore it for the sake of your relationship. I'm just saying, try not to let it become a wedge in that, you know, just keep pick, pick, picking at it. If, if your, your child's other parent or your partner, or your spouse, um, is struggling with coming to grips with it, you know, they might just be at a different point in the, in the grief cycle than you, or they may need to see, to believe kind of thing. Um, they just, you know, you just don't want to sit there and make it a huge argument. Another thing is to, uh, really try and be open to what the other parent is thinking. You know, if the other parent says, you know, I think they're really just going to grow out of this, or, you know, I think it'll be okay. You know, one thing you could do is, okay, well, great. You know, I, it's possible they could grow out of it, you know, probably not, but you know, there's all kinds of developmental milestone charts and things like that, that you can look up and say, okay, well, so little Johnny's still not talking, you know, and there's bunches of kids that, that don't start talking until later. But, you know, if he's not talking by this age, then usually kids start talking about this age. They have about this many words at this age. And if they don't have more than this many words by this time, this is actually getting far behind. So, you know, that's something you can say, well, Johnny only has about three words and he is almost two years old and two-year-olds should have 15 to 20 words. You know, like this is starting to be a huge gap because then the older they get, it goes from being like 20 words to a hundred words. And then from a hundred to like 500 words, you know, it starts to jump really high. So, you know, listen to what they're thinking and then just try and come up with non-confrontational ways to maybe address, um, their concerns, you know, find out what their concerns are. Yeah. And I think to go along with that, the approach on how you're communicating it is probably the most important thing. Mm. Everybody's different. Everybody receives news, um, (laughs) differently news. And so I think it's just, being patient and understanding and uh, it's it can be a very hard and difficult process for people to go through this whole grieving process of um, maybe losing expectations that they had and so try to remember that um, especially if you're running into some resistance or pushback from your significant other and 
you know, that will definitely help. I think, you know, there's definitely some things you can do to avoid making it worse, you know, like try not to have discussions when one or both of you are tired and are emotional about whatever. Um, and make sure no one's hangry. Yeah. Hangry. That's a big one. Hangry is not good. No. And it's something that, you know, if, if it's a difficult subject that you're not able to communicate or get on the same page with, you can seek out professional counseling. Um, something that you can go in together and kind of have a mediator help discuss it and help you guys figure out your issues. Sometimes a neutral party when you're discussing something that can be as emotionally charged as your children is really helpful. You know, and I think a lot of it, you know, can come down to, you know, validating their feelings when it comes to their child because you know you're going off of your parental instincts and and so are they you know and so it's important not to be dismissive or insulting or anything like that when it comes down to it you know but having said all that you know we definitely feel like the way to go is to get the help and to get um professional you know opinions and and all that stuff because the sooner that you can get the help for your child the better they will be and i'm not saying to go behind your your partner's back or anything like that you know but maybe look for ways that you can um compromise and say okay you know like i'm not i can see what you're saying and i understand why you're not seeing the same way you know this is kind of the perspective i have i would like to go you know and and just kind of have some a visit with a doctor and just kind of maybe the two of us and we can bring the child and we can just kind of go and see if there's any concerns from the doctor. And then you have a third person who can maybe give you the input as well as you have the two people kind of giving their perspectives because like when we were talking about before, Feline was like, Oh, you know, everything's great. He's, he's smart. He's doing all this stuff. And, and I was, I wasn't saying he was, he wasn't smart or anything like that or not, or not great. Everything she's saying is true, but what she's not telling you. You know, but that gives you an opportunity. So it's both you there. Um, I think a lot of the fear can be of the unknown. And so if you have somebody who, who work and you're a stay at home parent, um, they might not feel that same. They have that same, um, involvement in it. So looking for ways to create an opportunity for them to be involved with the diagnosis process and getting the doctor's visits and things like that, I think can go a long way. Yeah, I agree. So, well, that's, we just want to wrap up this episode, but hope you guys found this helpful. You know, we're always trying to come up with new ways to um, help people who are going through the same things we are and uh, we're grateful for you guys for listening to our episodes and i want to thank chris for showing up on my episode today anytime yeah so sometimes it's just really nice to have another person's perspective so you don't just have to listen to me talk all the time but anyway yeah thanks for coming on the show today chris (laughs) anyway thanks for putting up with me for longer uh well you know um but yeah 
So this is Feline from Six Blue Warriors, and I'm signing off.